Once upon a time, on the coast of the East, there was the most fantastic woman that ever lived, Tracy Harrison. So flattering. Oh, I love it. Keep telling the story. And she sent a diamond jewelry care package to the most wonderful woman of the West, Rowan Hall. How did she do it? She went on to diamondjewelry.com and saw that they were selling care packages. They only started at $25, so she thought this is too good to be true. She told them all about Rowan and how amazing she is, and they created the custom care package of her dreams. These packages can include anything from candies, scarves, books, puzzles, candles, and so much more. If you, trepid adventurer, want to be wonderful and amazing like Tracy Harrison, all you have to do is go to diamondjewelry.com. That's D-I-A-M-E-N-T jewelry.com. Or head to Diamond Jewelry on Instagram. But wait, we have a mystical, magical coupon code for you, fearless adventurer. Use code WILLINGANDFABLE10. That's WILLINGANDFABLE with the number 10 at the end to get 10% off of your order at Diamond Jewelry. So go Sally Forth. Ooh, Sally Forth is good. (laughs) So Sally Forth to the wild world of the internet and be cool like Tracy Harrison and Diamond Jewelry. Guys, tell me about Pennsylvania. Describe it to me and your temperate, beautiful climate, because I'm cooking in L.A. We had a really big thunderstorm. Mm. Yes. Is that the word mm-hmm. painting you wanted? Yeah. <laughs> okay. We had a, a, a harsh thunderstorm with torrents of rain, gusts of wind that made the tree branches bow and shake. Is that, is that what you're going for? Is that the kind of thing you wanted? Wow, it's almost as if you're a storyteller with their own podcast. <laughs> I'm so moved by this. It's so weird how almost like that it, it is. It reminds me of the epic heraldry you gave me in our Discord. Oh, you guys, if you have not joined our Discord, it's I highly recommend it. It is so fun over there. All you have to do to join it is go to our Patreon, and for anyone who donates $5 or more a month, you get automatic access to our Discord. People who donate $10 or more a month get to vote on episodes. And it's just so fun. And we have a heraldry section, and it's got incredible titles for everyone. Yeah, although you did say I was a, a, a protector of plants or something, but I'm a killer of plants. No, protector of animals. Mother oh, of that's plants. that's factual. Yeah. That's factual. I did almost rescue a baby crow that did not need to be rescued. <laughs> <laughs> I was very concerned for its well-being. You are being you are being rescued. Please do not resist. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that beautiful, beautiful voice was the voice of our guest. Tim Black, he comes on for our special mini-series, Whiskey and Fable, in which the Willing and Fable duo has decided we need a break, we want to have a cocktail hour, and we want to learn a little bit about whiskey while we're doing it. So we called an expert. 
I am Rowan Hall, your non-expert. I am Tracy Harrison, your even less of an expert. And despite the small but fun subject change, we are still the Willing and Fable podcast. We talk about ancient myths, local legends, why stories have staying power, and some good, good whiskey. Tim, what are we learning about today? Today we are discussing Scotch whiskey, which is to say whiskey from Scotland. So you'll remember that both Rowan and I really enjoy whiskey, but we have no expertise. So for all of you listening, grab a glass of whatever you're drinking, settle in, and enjoy a little history lesson from our favorite historian, Tim. By the way, favorite historian, Tim, tell us a little bit about who the heck you are, please. Uh, My name is Tim. I am the historical consultant for Whiskey and Fable, which is to say I drink a lot of whiskey and then I rant about history. <laughs> how, have we never, how have we never rhymed that before? That's so good. Drink whiskey, rant about drink history. Drink whiskey, rant about history. Put it on a t-shirt. I would wear that t-shirt every day. As Rowan can tell, Tim, Tim and I are both big fans of like graphic and printed tees. Uh, as I am wearing one from Steven Universe right now, and Tim is wearing one that um, says Lovecraft Rules. So I would wear that t-shirt. Except for the racism part. That part doesn't rule. No, it does not. Tim, I'll put, I'll put Drink Whiskey Rant About History on a shirt for you, and I'll send it over to the townhouse. Heck yeah, dude. I'm queen of the merch. Oh, but uh, <laughs> guys, one important thing before we start. You will remember back from our last episode about whiskey that the rules are this we only describe people using drink descriptions and we only describe whiskeys using people descriptions (laughs) (laughs) so tim what are you drinking tonight my scotch of choice this evening is dewar's blended scotch whiskey The distillery was founded by John Dewar in the city of Perth back in 1846, just before the springtime of the peoples of 1848. And the white label line, of which I am partaking, is largely acclaimed to be one of the best-selling scotches in the United States. According to Dewar's website, white label has notes of citrus, pear, and honey, and carries those distinctive smoky, peaty tones unique to scotch whiskey. Before you taste it, Tim, what is the springtime of the people? Oh boy, that's a whole thing. Basically, in 1848, everyone in Europe decided they didn't want a king anymore. And, like, five different revolutions happened at once. And all of them were crushed? Yes, all of them were crushed. Oh, wow. So when you say, like, five different countries or peoples, like, what? who? I'm assuming Scotland was one of them? Actually, Britain was not. Uh, Because Britain already had a stable functioning democracy for the most part. It was France, Prussia, Austria, Hungary, and Italy primarily. I want you guys all to know that was not in the notes. He just pulled those countries out of his historian hat. My history degree is good for one thing and one thing only. Interesting side facts. Two things. It's also really good for entertaining me on long car rides that Tim has to go on with me. (laughs) (laughs) all right i raise my glass to you tim all right now i'm probably going to butcher this because this is by poet laureate robert burns and it is written phonetically 
So I'm going to attempt a phonetic pronunciation of a Scottish accent. So here we go. Here is a bottle and an honest man. What would ye wish for mere man? What cans before his life may end? What his share be, O care, O man? So catch the moments as they fly, and use them as ye ought, man. Believe me, happiness is shy, and comes not I when sought, man. Cheers. Cheers to that. I don't know how this guy's a national poet. He rhymed man with man, like, seven times. I could do that. I found that toast online, saw it was written phonetically, and went, nope. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The toast I'm going to read had a phonetic version that I was very grateful underneath it had just good old American accent version, just for me. (laughs) So what are you tasting, Tim, when you actually drink it? I'm mostly just getting the peat. Uh, A lot of the smoke is coming through, maybe a little bit of the vanilla, but... Uh, not a lot of the sweetness. I'm getting no peach. Um, cut hay? You're getting the, the, the cut hay that is in the description? You're jumping the gun a bit here, Trace, but no, I'm not getting the cut hay. Yeah, Tracy and I are looking at the tasting notes by the chaps at Master of Malts, and uh, Tim does not have the the nuance that they have, apparently. No. I'm uh, sorry, dude. <laughs> I, I get none of the cut herbs. I mean... The smoke, I definitely, uh, the smoke, I can't emphasize how much I'm getting. And I don't like sweets, so I don't actually know what toffee tastes like. So I'm, I'm coming from a place of ignorance here. I feel like toffee is, um, Caramel's grumpy, sarcastic older sister. I, I actually agree I with promised that. You I don't know flavors, why. Yeah. <laughs> flavors described as people only. Tim, would you say that you're tasting vanilla fudge? I'm or... getting I'm getting vanilla. I'm not getting fudge, but again, I don't have a tongue for sweets, so I'm coming from it's true. a bit of a handicap here. I cannot emphasize enough how little Tim enjoys sweets. <laughs> it's it is tr- truly shocking. Now, I did hop over to Master of Malt as well, and I tried to find kind of like the overall summary like we've been able to get for every other whiskey we've covered so far, and there is none, which is kind of odd considering this is a best-selling whiskey, but I am about to quote to you the top comment that was listed by the whiskey enthusiasts over at Master of Malt, which was, and I quote, good. It was a good scotch. Now, they didn't clarify if it was morally good or if it was of quality. It could very well be an evil scotch, so Ooh, okay, so keep an eye out. All right, jury's (laughs) out. We'll keep a weather eye out. I am not talking about Satan today, though, at least, so that's good at least. At least we're hedging out that side of evil. All right, so less Satan in this one. Less Satan. Why, though? Why less Satan? Why does there have to be less Satan? <laughs> there, there is some evil. Trust me, I, I got the evil in there. It's just not satanic evil this time around. I'll take it. Yeah. Tracy, do you want to taste your scotch and tell us about it? Sure. It's going to be eerily similar to the experience Tim has. I know. That's why I said you ought to go <laughs> first. <laughs> so, before I taste it, 
I want to talk a little bit about why I am also drinking Dewar's. The reason I drink Dewar's when it comes to scotch is that it is my mother's scotch of choice. Mm. I mean, honestly, it's really just her choice of drink in general. But it all came from when she was in college. She, like me, would get really, really sick from alcohol. So her older brother, my late uncle, told her to drink scotch. She says she always felt so cool walking up to the bar with all the frat guys and all, and just ordering scotch. Um, and the best part, aside from feeling really cool, was that it, she stopped, this is her quote, she stopped praying to the porcelain god after that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that. And so my whole life and to this day, her drink of choice is always doers with soda. It's why we have it in our house. We always keep doers around in case my mom ever comes to visit. So, <laughs> cheers to you, mom. Can confirm I drink with your mom all the time. Oh, yeah. Of all my mom's daughters, um, Tim is the only one who will drink doers and soda with her. I, I am an official daughter. It's true. <laughs> I would argue that whenever you drink doers with her, you might be the favorite daughter. I'd yeah, like I mean, to think so. I, I think she's actually flat out said that. so um just a couple of facts about doers according to the whiskey wash the brand was more recently purchased by bacardi in 1998 who Hmm. interestingly built a museum to showcase much of the brand's advertising labels and other knickknacks from the early 20th century before that according to bacardi's own website Founded in 1846 by John Dewar, John Dewar and Sons grew from a small wine and spirits merchant shop in Perth, Scotland, to become a global brand. John Dewar was so proud of the quality of his blended scotches that he was one of the first scotch blenders to put his name on a bottle as a guarantee of quality. Hmm. All right. Well, my family is kind of a Bacardi family. Your family is a Dewar's family. I think it's doing great so far. We are so selling it, out. So in the end, our families really are connected by what truly matters. Capitalism. So I want to know if you can taste Caramel's sarcastic older sister when you sip Dewar's. All right. I'll keep an ear out, eye out, taste bud out for... You got there. Care <laughs> Eventually. I walked my way over for Caramel's sassy older sister. So here is my toast. Here's to all those that I love. Here's to all those that love me. And here's to all those that love those that I love. And all those that love those that love me. Uh, It sounds like a pyramid scheme to me, but okay. (laughs) It reminds me of Bilbo Baggins. um, I I like half of you as well as you deserve thing of like... You gotta think on it a little bit. I don't know half of you half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. See, I knew if I just brought it up, you'd be able to finish it for, perfectly for me. I could quote the entire movie and you know it. Yeah, I do know it. I actually have watched it. All right. So, cheers to those that I love. Let us try this scotch. Mm, okay. Slancha. I have some notes to read you, Tracy, after you taste it that are even a little bit different than what Tim was reading. Okay. I do not get 
caramels, sassy older sister toffee. I do get a little bit of vanilla, but just like Tim said, it is just all peat, smoky flavor, which isn't my favorite flavor. I've never really liked anything that's super heavily smoky flavored. It's why I don't like mezcal very much, but I do like tequila. So all in all, it's never been my favorite. I prefer very much the whiskey I had in our last episode, but as far as scotch go, scotches go, it's good. But it's like Tim said, it's very basic, very mild, very kind of standard. So, Tracy, I have a couple tasting notes according to the Whiskey Advocate. Would you say that you are in any way able to smell hints of lemon or tangerine? I mean, if I choose to decide that's what I'm smelling, yes. Had you asked me 30 seconds ago, no. Mm-hmm. Okay, what about at the end of the tasting? A very surprising dusting of maraschino cherry that pops in to say hello and then quickly moves on down the road. Rakish maraschino cherry. (laughs) It was almost curt. It was like it could have stuck around a little longer. It could have hung out, had like, you know, a nice chat with me. And instead it just like gave me the peace sign and walked down the road. Right, right. A rude cherry. So but hearing that tasting note, I'm thinking this might be a good scotch for an old-fashioned, because you already put maraschino cherry in an old-fashioned. See? There you go. Tim, as the mixed drink expert among us, what are your thoughts? I refuse to make a mixed drink with scotch. (laughs) Really? What do you make a mixed drink with, then, instead? Any other kind of whiskey. Bourbon, rye, Irish whiskey, just not scotch. Scotch is just so distinctively flavored that I can't abide it in a cocktail. I, oh, I I can honestly say I don't think I've ever done it with a scotch. I usually drink my old fashions with makers, just because it's hard for someone to oh, yeah. do a bad job on a maker's old fashioned. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone's drinking except me. Yes, it is your turn. Okay, so my scotch today was actually recommended to me by Daphne Olive of the Fathoms Deep podcast. And not unlike your mother, I started drinking scotch early in my time being able to go to bars because I wanted men to think that I was too cool for them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't want them to talk to me. And for some reason, that's my logic. Um, And Daphne Olive swooped in and has actually taught me a couple really good scotches, (laughs) although I've never had this one. Um, Today, I'm drinking... The Balvenie Doublewood 12-Year. And I want everyone to know, I was very, very stressed about how I would pronounce this. Luckily, (laughs) Esquire totally came through for me by having two videos with the same man pronouncing it two different ways. (laughs) The Balvenie, or the Balvenie. I'm going to go with the Balvenie because... In that video, the man was holding a glass of scotch, and that just feels more right to right. me. So you got double mansplained. I, I looked for it in defense of the man. <laughs> <laughs> so the Balvany Distillery says about itself that it has been owned and managed by the same independent family company for five generations. Nowhere else will you find a distillery that still grows its own barley 
still malts its own traditional floor maltings, and still employs a team of coopers to tend all the casks and a coppersmith to maintain the stills. That's cool. It is very cool. So hipsters, this might be your drink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is a single malt that is matured in two, quote, distinct casks. To quote the lovely box my bottle came in, the Balvenie Doublewood acquires its complex yet rich and smooth taste from its maturation in two different types of oak casks, which we will absolutely get into, but I don't want it in my head when I taste this whiskey for the very first time. <laughs> <laughs> so a toast to you guys. May those who live truly be always believed, and those who deceive us be always deceived. Here's to the men of all classes who through lasses and glasses will make themselves asses. I drink to the health of another, and the other I drink to is he, in the hope that he drinks to another, and the other he drinks to is me. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> and that was by the Reverend Edward Bannerman Ramsey from Scottish Life and Character. I think I think Rowan wins the the toast competition this time around. Doesn't it feel very twenty twenty that toast? I don't know. It it feels very something that would be said at a tavern. Like I could see someone, I don't know, standing on a table and saying that. <laughs> mm. Okay, so Tracy, you'll have to tell me if I'm right because okay. you have the tasting notes. I do. I do. Are you gonna talk about what you smell or what you taste? Ooh. Okay, we'll do smell first. <laughs> okay, this is nuts. Um, it smells like... <laughs> it, this is a really specific smell. It smells like on our elementary school playground where the acorns used to fall and we would walk on them and crunch them up. Okay. So. So oak? No, it smells like... Like sticky sap fingers. Okay, like, like like sap and oak and dirt and crunchy. Fall. <laughs> Here is the description of the scent. Gristy, supple nuttiness intertwined with spices. Honeyed sultanas and grapes. Hugely inviting. I don't know if I would say it's hugely inviting. Would you say it's just kind of say, politely inviting you? Like it's offering, but you're not really sure if it wants you? It's not forbidding. Yeah. <laughs> I Yeah, I would say it's allowing me through the door. Okay. Okay, so the palette. Wow, I'm, I'm such a pet. Uh, <laughs> I'm such a peasant. It just tastes like... And I like this. So it tastes like chewing a two-by-four. <laughs> it just tastes like wood. I, it tastes like... <laughs> it tastes like being a beaver feels. Oh, my God. How would you know what it feels like to be a beaver? All my experience. Oh, okay. All right. I'm sorry. I did, I did when I asked that question, forget about your robust experience as a beaver. So apologies on that one. <laughs> I don't think Rowan gives a damn. Oh, that was so funny, actually. <laughs> Amazing. I, I watched Rowan go from like, oh, I want to make fun of this, but oh, actually, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to know what the tasting notes are? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
All right, this first one is how I describe you. Here you go. Okay. Sweet. With a good body. <laughs> the bourbon characters develop. Ooh, can you imagine a whole cast of characters? The bourbon characters? They developed. No, they're all dead. <laughs> That's fair. That's a good history joke. The bourbon characters develop. Gentle spice with a little vanilla. A hint of balancing peat lurking quietly in the substrata. Oh, that's shady. I don't like it. I don't trust it. Dried fruit, too. Combining with nuts, nutmeg, cinnamon. Back into the bourbon notes. So well integrated. Come out of the shadows, Pete. Where are you hiding? <laughs> it feels like it doesn't... I mean, it's according to Rowan, it doesn't sound like it's hiding very well. It's like the kid who thinks they're hiding because they cover their own eyes. Ooh, Tracy, where are these tasting notes from? <laughs> these are they're from... they're so well written. The chaps at Master of Malt. <laughs> okay, I love them now. I I can't taste any of those things, but listen, I every time I put it down, I kind of I want to taste it again in like beautiful little sips. So it's clearly working. Yeah, that's I actually just... kind of a description. It says overall a classic, always a pleasure to revisit. Uh, would you describe the finish of it as spicy, slightly drying, still sweet? You know, if you had to choose descriptions. I actually think that's how I describe the three of us. <laughs> oh, God, which one am I? Does that make me slightly drying? I'm definitely, I'm, I'm slightly drying. Yeah, I'm Tim, under a blanket right now. Tim is slightly drying. I think, I think to the outside eye, you might seem like the still sweet one. But in fact, I think you're the spicy one. I'll take that. I don't think anyone's ever called me spicy in my life. So I'm going to take that and run with it. And I'll continue to own sweet with a good body. Sweet with a good just body. Real nice of you. <laughs> <laughs> I have one last little fact for you, since I'm reading the t- the tasting notes. The Doublewood gets its name because it's matured in traditional whiskey casks, which, to quote the bottle's box, it mellows the maturing spirit. And imparts warming layers of vanilla spiciness. Then it's matured further in European oak sherry casks, which, again, to quote, increases complexity, bringing fruity, honeyed depths to the resulting single malt. Did you get all of that in your sip? (laughs) I knew that this was done in two casks. I knew sherry casks were involved, and I still <laughs> chose to describe this scotch as the experience of being a beaver. So I'm going to go with no, Tracy. <laughs> Backing up, honey depths sounds like a, a level from a kid's version of Dark Souls. Yes, it does. You have now entered the honey depth. If, if uh, <laughs> Candyland met Dark Souls. I want to make that game. I was going to say, actually, that mellows the maturing spirit sounds like how it feels to be around Jamie. She always makes me feel so mellow. Like I might (laughs) finally get my life together. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Now that we've goofed off, we've all got drinks in hand. I hope everybody else is enjoying their scotch, their whiskey, their Diet Coke, their apple juice, their commute to work, whatever you got going on right now. But whatever it is, you better be drinking. (laughs) So before Tim jumps into his history, I just want to share one story that I found because 
as soon as I saw it, I knew I had to share it with both of you and especially with Tim. I found this story on foodanddrinkscotman.com and it's about a white stag. I picked this specifically because aside from his Stannis Baratheon tattoo... One true king. Stags have become kind of a symbol for Tim among his friends and family, whether he likes it or not. I like it. (laughs) Good. So this is the story of the white stag of Aaron. This is not my story. I didn't write it. I I took it directly whole cloth from foodanddrinkscotsman.com. You'll find the link in our show notes. That's a really good website. Yes, it is. I also read from it. So 10 out of 10, no notes. The story of the white stag is also well known to the inhabitants of Aaron. Standing proud and tall, this almost ghostly creature has been spotted throughout the island down the centuries. Whether it is the same stag or not is impossible for people to say, but many say that it is. It has long been recognized that good fortune and luck come to those who spy the white stag and many look for it when they visit. The white stag is the king of all the deer that live on the island, of which there are many, and young stags compete to challenge this monarch during rutting season. As yet undefeated, the white stag retains first choice of the island's hinds and is often spotted with four or five doe in its company. On the morning that Aaron Distillery opened, the white stag was spotted in the meadow of Lacranza, overlooking the new distillery building. It was seen by the distillery manager and head distiller and has brought them good fortune ever since. That's an old god. That's that's just a straight up old god. Absolutely. From a Hayao Miyazaki movie, probably. (laughs) Yeah. And it blessed the distillery. So thank you for being a really cool old, old god who knows what's up. I actually have a really cool story about white stags also. It's a personal story. So when we were in elementary school, I don't know what specific age we were, but for a few years in the woods behind my house, uh, I grew up and my parents still have a house that's on 10 acres in the woods. uh, And it backs up to a bunch of other houses that have similar plots of land and everyone's very friendly. So it's just this big wooded area that people traipse through. Um, Tons of deer. It's really lovely. And for about two or three years, there were white deer on the back hills that's so cool yeah a whole family of them and then from those white deer there were also deer that had different color mutations so there were ones that were flipped and were white where they should have been brown and brown where they should have been that's white. something i've never seen near where i work there's a lot of woods and forests and there is a white deer that is known to be there And I've seen that one once. Mm. My friend would see it almost every single day uh, when she worked in one of the buildings nearby. So that I I have seen, and it's beautiful. Oh, my God. It's so cool to see an all-white deer. But to see, like, a reverse color deer, that's my new dream. Yes, and good on our county because they, you know, there's hunting where we grew up. And they made it, made absolutely sure that no one hunted the albino deer or the I don't know what the name would be for, but for the reverse color deer, and they were very protected. And the hunters actually would leave food for them in areas that they wouldn't be hunting to make sure that they were off doing their own happy old god deer thing. (laughs) (laughs) 
I know this is not related, but real quick, do you remember that time that we were walking around in your woods as we always did as kids and we found like Uh a full deer skull? Yes. Do you have any idea how many times adult me has gone back to that location in the hopes that I will somehow find that? (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't make logical, biological sense that it would still be there. Actually, last time I went home, there was a rather large collection of deer bones at my barn and I made Tyler go out in the full rain into a mucky swamp and collect them with me. <laughs> Did you make cool art out of them? Uh, no, they're sitting in a box in the garage so that they can dry out and eventually my mother is going to co-opt them into very cool art. Real quick, I gotta plug your mom because her art is so cool. Check out <laughs> check out Carol D. Hall. Right? Is that what it is? Or VD. V- VD. Carol VD Hall. Check out Carol VD Hall on Instagram. Her art is amazing. And we talked about it a long time ago, but at one point, she and Rowan used borax to create crystals on a skull, and then her mom painted it. Metal. So cool. Yeah, so cool. If I, if I grow up to be metal. literally one-eighth as cool as your mom when I grow up, I'll, I'll consider myself lucky. So my mom made another piece of artwork recently with a deer skull that had huge horns that um, a gentleman she knew had laying around for years. And it came out so gorgeous. I was very covetous of it. And she packed it up in a carry-on suitcase and I brought it through the airport and it is now (laughs) in my home. Okay, well, you have to post a picture of that. Excuse me, ma'am. Do you have any pagan relics to declare? It, funnily, my other bag was searched at security, uh, not that one. And the guy went, do you have a jackalope in there? <laughs> and I I laughed and said, yep, and walked on through. <laughs> <laughs> Editing Tracy. Game of Thrones spoilers ahead, so beware. So, Tim, you're Team Stannis. Tracy, What? which, which one true ruler of... I'm team Game of Thrones, are you? The ending of Game of Thrones was a nightmare and I don't like to think about it. Also Sansa. I, I, yes. Okay. <laughs> I had so many thoughts and all I wanted was for Sansa to be queen in the north. And that did happen. It did. Okay, so, I, I won't get into it. I have so many thoughts on this, but basically, Tim loves Stannis Baratheon for many reasons. If you're curious, you can reach out and we can talk to you about them. I'll be on the Discord. <laughs> Yes, he is on the Discord. So again, join our Discord. You can see pictures of Rowan's mom's skull art, D&D memes, Tim talking about Stannis Baratheon, and many other cool things. Let's jump back into history. Oh, that's right. That's why I'm here. Okay. All right. So the history of Scotch whiskey largely mirrors that of its cousin, Irish whiskey. And if you haven't already, I recommend checking out the origin story for that in our episode on it. Uh, That would be Whiskey and Fable number one. Uh, To summarize, medieval Arabs, Crusades, monks, overregulation by the British Parliament, economic collapse, recovery, and return to popularity. Uh, now that we got that out of the way, what sets Scotch whiskey apart in particular is the process of drying its barley grains. It's almost always made from barley. And in order to do so, they are smoked over burning peat, which gives it that smoky flavor that Tracy hates so much. 
I'm not going to deny it. I don't love the flavor. More scotch for us, Tim. <laughs> yeah, give me the whiskey and the bourbon. I'll take that. Thank you. On an interesting historical note, uh, we may owe scotch's modern availability to bugs. Hmm, gross. Go on. In the late 1880s, a plague of phylloxera insects, that's a cousin of the aphid, devastated grapevines throughout Western Europe. Uh, the resulting drop-off in wine and brandy production led the poor, benighted tavern-goers of the continent to turn to Scotland for salvation. Scottish distilleries flooded Europe with their whiskey, and it remained popular even as the vineyards came back to life. Hmm. Never want bugs in the story. Nope, not once, not never, but I'll appreciate them for what they've done. I did look up pictures of them. They're very, very small. That, you know, even still worse. doesn't make it better. Yeah. So much worse. Tim, I learned something interesting, I think, and you can confirm it for me because this fact that I have, I am not, I'm not super sure about, I guess. Hit me. So... Tyler originally told me that scotch depends in many ways on the whiskey casks from the U.S. Yes. Okay, cool. Okay. So I'm so happy I know a thing. So I read a quote from the Whiskey Advocate, and it said, Without barrels from the U.S., scotch whiskey as we know it could not exist. Nine out of ten casks used to mature whiskey in Scotland today initially matured bourbon or Tennessee whiskey. By law, barrels can be used only once for bourbon, but they still have plenty of flavor to give. Thousands of empty used vessels are shipped to Scotland every year to impart delicious sweetness, scented vanilla, and golden honey flavors to whiskey destined for the bourbon barrel. Yes, uh, that's totally true. Uh, A lot of that is owed to the fact that there's kind of a symbiosis between bourbon production and scotch production, where bourbon, the barrel can only really be used once when you're creating a batch. And with scotch whiskey, you need to use a conditioned barrel. You can't use a raw barrel when producing scotch. So they kind of feed into each other. They kind of have a symbiotic relationship. None of that seems cost-effective. The U.S. is going, no, no, we can only use it once, and then we're just going to ship it overseas empty? So just big, giant barrels taking up huge amounts of space? Bear in mind that there is not a lot of timber and lumber production in the British Isles and Scotland specifically, whereas there is a ton of it here in the United States. So it's much more cost-effective for us to harvest the lumber and condition the barrels than it is for Scotland to outsource to their own forms of wood production and bell creation. Is that because they don't have as much space? They don't have as many trees. They would need to import something from the continent or from somewhere Mm. else, whereas the United States has bountiful raw resources in order to aid in barrel production. If I knew that when I went scotch tasting in Edinburgh, I would have walked with a little more swagger. (laughs) (laughs) You're nothing without me. (laughs) Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm so glad you can confirm that because, frankly, when I heard it, I went, no. No, that can't be true. <laughs> That's impossible. <laughs> All right. Is it time for Tim to tell us a story? Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you a story. Um, 
The story I offer for your consideration is an old Scottish folktale, but you may pick up on places in which I have uh, modernized a thing or two. But it still has all the makings of a classic fairy story. It's got damsels in distress, a vicious dragon, and a drunk bachelor with a giant tree branch. <laughs> this is <Awesome>. the story <laughs> of the Nine Maidens of Dundee. 500 years ago, just outside the highland city of Dundee, there lived a farmer with his nine beautiful daughters. This being medieval Scotland, the farmer lived in constant dread of the ninefold dowries it would cost him to marry them off, but he took some solace in the chores he could pass off to them in the meantime. The maidens of the farmstead would milk the cows, till the stony fields, and run errands into town. It was upon one such trip that disaster struck. It was on a frigid November morning that the eldest of the nine sisters was sent into Dundee in order to pick up some fine scotch whiskey for her father, in order to warm his bones against the creeping cold of late autumn. Now, like most of medieval Europe, Scotland had a bit of a problem of the scaly monster variety. Between the wyverns, drakes, tatzelverms, manticores, cockatrices, and basilisks, peasants dwelling in remote or rural land holdings were straight up not having a good time. Just leaving your house to, say, uh, buy your deadbeat dad a bottle of liquor carried immense risks. The creature that the eldest daughter encountered was a beast that hauled and slithered its serpentine body about through the use of two forelimbs. Its toxic breath steamed in the chilly morning air. It was wingless, but it was no less formidable for it. It was a lindworm. The beast had made its way east to Scotland after being kicked out of Iceland by his cousin Fafnir, and was likely on its way to crash on the Loch Ness Monster's couch while it got its life sorted out. But dragons being dragons, there was no way that it could pass up on some good old damsel. Now, the eldest daughter, rather than doing the sensible thing, like summoning a saint or running away screaming, cautiously attempted to pass the serpent dragon. She had heard a story once about a prince who was cursed to be born a lindworm until a fair maiden convinced him to shed his skin until his handsome, true form emerged. Perhaps, she considered, this could be her chance to live the charmed life of a princess. This lindworm was in no way a handsome prince, and being every inch the cold reptilian predator it seemed, the monster promptly coiled the length of its body around the maiden and devoured her. A few hours had passed before the farmer started to wonder what had become of his eldest daughter, and, of course, his whiskey. It was then that he decided to send the second eldest of the maidens to check on her older sister. The maiden traveled down the same road as her elder, passing over hill and under heath, until she came upon the bloody and torn garments of the eldest. Her eyes followed the trail of gore until she, too, ran into the lindworm. She paused for the briefest moment as her disbelieving gaze rested on the beast. Hey, she said cautiously, her voice trembling slightly. You wouldn't happen to be a handsome prince cursed by a... Oh! Oh, you're eating me. And thus, she was devoured. Now, I will give you, say, seven guesses as to what the maiden's father did next. Let's just say that for the rest of that day, the lindworm ate well. 
I know, I know. I started out promising damsels in distress, not nine virginal corpses. In my defense, there's not a lot more distressing than being poisoned, consumed, and digested alive. I'm not sure what the metabolic rate of a serpent dragon is, or just how much tryptophan is contained within the body of medieval peasant girl, but all that anthropophagy must have really tired the lindworm out. The great beast curled around the mount of half-devoured maidens and went to sleep. It was around dusk that the farmer became suspicious that something was not quite right. Having run out of daughters to inadvertently send to their deaths, the old man took to the road himself. He was on a quest to find his missing daughters and claim his bottle of whiskey. It took the better part of an hour before the farmer stumbled across the Lindworm's Airbnb. When the now daughterless Highlander discovered the blighted stand of trees where the dragon was now curled around his dismembered children, he did the first sensible thing a member of his family had done all day. He ran. Fleeing into the village of Dundee, the farmer made desperate efforts to get a nice, traditional, torch-bearing mob assembled on the green. This being the whiskey-soaked boonies of medieval Scotland, this was not particularly difficult. Beneath the flare of firelight, and with pitchforks held aloft, the gang of half-drunken, half-terrified Highlanders set off to get their dragon-slaying on. It was safe to say it was with big St. George energy that the clansmen and women rolled up on the poison grove of the Lindworm. Unfortunately for our brave band of Scots, the Lindworm had slept off its banquet of rural maidens. Its now very awake eyes glittered in the darkness with reptilian malice. While the villagers were able to encircle the beast and menace it with their various farming implements, none were brave enough to assault the man-eater. The noxious, venomous breath of the lindworm seeped from gaps between its bloody fangs, and the monster hissed and snapped at any Highlander who dared draw near. That is, until Martin stepped up. Martin was a farmhand who worked with the most stubborn and vicious of the Highland bulls. Needless to say, with such a hard-bitten vocation, he tended towards being strong, bruised, and uproariously drunk. The burly Highlander reached up, and grasping a tree limb with one meaty fist, he pried it from the mighty oak that stood vigil over the grove. With this makeshift club in hand, Martin strode forward to play the part of the Dragon Slayer. The mob, still waving their torches and pitchforks, were able to distract the Lindworm long enough for the strong man to approach. With a cry of strike, Martin, they bade the meathead of a farmhand to smite the unholy creature. And, as instructed, Martin sprung forward with unexpected agility and brought his tree limb down on the lindworm's head. Now, I'd like to tell you that the Highlander had one shot of the dragon, but muscular and intoxicated as he was, he wasn't Hercules. It took nine blows, one for each devoured maiden, before the lindworm crumpled and was promptly torn apart by the triumphant villagers. I would also like to tell you that, with the dragon successfully slain, the townspeople gutted it and retrieved the nine peasant girls from the beast's gut, Red Riding Hood style, with the girls shaken and battered but alive. But they didn't. The maidens were super dead. Nonetheless, the Highlanders counted their blessings and went back to the village green to tie one on in celebration. The farmer even joined them, firmly intending to drown his sorrows and mourn his slaughtered daughters. But hey, at least he finally got that whiskey. And he doesn't have to pay nine dowries. That's true. There's the financial aspect as well.
I love slightly drying Tim in his sarcastic version of storytelling. I was <laughs> covering my mouth to laugh throughout oh, that yeah. entire thing. <laughs> the idea of the Lindworm Airbnb. So good. I'm really into the idea that all dragon-typed creatures around the world just know each other. Because when you're a giant dragon, the world isn't quite as large. My cousin right. Fafnir. What is Fa- <laughs> Who is Fafnir and why don't I know? He's a Norse... Um, he's a Norse dragon. Tim will know more than I... Even I would. He's an Icelandic dwarf that through his greed turned into a dragon. He's one of the main villains from the Ring of Nibelung. So, Rowan, my question for you is, why do we even host this podcast? We should just have Tim do it. He's, he's an encyclopedia of, of history and mythology. Insert some witty funny thing that I say in reply. <laughs> uh, so witty and funny. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I know. <laughs> uh, that, was, that was spectacular. The... The gang of nine maidens that just make stupid choices over and over again. Honestly, though, like, relatable. Just Leroy Jenkinsing their way into that dragon every time. Well, I was going to ask <laughs> who originally wrote this story, but I know that this came from the mind of a man originally. There's no way it didn't. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I will uh, give you a little bit of trivia, though. Um, mm -hmm. In Dundee, in Scotland, there is a region that is called... Straight Martin, which is believed to have derived from this folktale from the townspeople crying Strike Martin. Oh, that's so cool. And if you I were to that. travel down that roadway, you would actually find a little monument to the slain dragon. Okay, I really want to go there. One day I do want to kind of go on just a myth tour of the world, just based only on stories about places. So there will be no suburbs. Um, unless we get to the myth of the Karen, but it'll just be... <laughs> we, we do not speak of this. <laughs> that monster of which we do not speak. Yeah, no. The most horrifying monster of all. <laughs> if you've ever worked in customer service, it is. Oh, she's the only monster you want to wear a mask. Tracy, do you remember during college, back when your Christmas job for a couple of years was working in a retail store which shall not be named yes <laughs> you used to come and call me with the best stories about having to be prepared for secret shoppers at all times oh yeah that was like one of the things the company did was they had like an undercover shopper who was really from corporate who was checking to see how well you did but you never knew who it was um, fun fact about that, I actually was working when the secret shopper came in, uh, and I found out later that I got a perfect score. Tracy, you are perfection. Yeah, it was great. Although my boss did call me to tell me that while I was in class in college, and I, like, <laughs> ran out of class, and I was like, what's going on? Like, wh wh like what's happening? She was like, I just want to let you know you got a perfect score on the secret shopper. Great job. And I was like, I'm in class. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, did you have any retail jobs? Have you ever had retail jobs oh, throughout the course of your life? Oh, boy, have I had retail jobs. I have worked at an electronics store that should not be named on Black Friday. That was the worst experience Yikes. of my entire life. Oh, no. <laughs> See, when I worked at the retail store that I worked at that has to do with um, good-smelling things that you light on fire, 
I can say the word candles. <laughs> <laughs> nope, no, yeah, you, you can't. You, you don't need to cloak that one in mystery. <laughs> With mysterious objects. Um, I also worked Black Friday, and at one point I was working the register, and the line was wrapped around the entire store. But I actually really loved my job there. I had, like, an awesome boss, great coworkers. That was my favorite of my, like, service industry jobs. I've never worked retail specifically, but because I never have and so many of my friends have, I get so paranoid whenever I have to unfold a shirt that's been folded in a in a store because I, I j- just imagine the hours and hours of refolding that goes with <laughs> retail. Well, now that we've talked about our horrible past lives in the service industry... Tracy, tell me something good. All right. I've got two. One is that I just looked over my shoulder and my cat is so adorably curled up on the back of the futon in my loft with her head, her arms just stretched out in front of her and her head just plopped straight down. Um, That is bringing me so much joy right now. Would you say that Lola sparks joy and you don't have to throw her out? I would absolutely say that. That is definitely, I pick her up, look at her, think for a moment and say, you know what? This does spark joy. (laughs) My other something good is that um, it is coming up on my nephew's fourth birthday and my entire family is getting together on Sunday to celebrate it because we're all going on vacation together in a couple weeks. So we figure it's okay to see each other. Plus it's going to be all outside and with masks anyway, but I get to see my nephew turn four which is just wild because he was just born yesterday so i don't know how he's four (laughs) he's gotten quite big and i always see videos of him scooting around the park yeah he runs around he talks he has a lot of thoughts on things what he does is he goes and plays by himself because he loves cars and nascar so he'll go and he'll play by himself and he'll have races and every like 10 to 20 minutes he'll come out of the room he's playing in to give you an update on the race (gasps) so he'll come out and just stand there and go kyle bush is in first but before that number two was leading but then he came around and led and and he's doing good but like then there was a crash and they had to fix their tires and you're like oh great that's so interesting and then he just walks away 20 minutes later comes out (laughs) and his dad has got it down to like clockwork where he'll be like 30 seconds (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> and then he like comes out. I love that. Yeah. So I'm just really excited to see my family and to get to hug and squeeze and kiss my nephew um, and celebrate his birthday. Because he's at that age where birthdays are the single greatest thing that could ever happen to anyone. So. Mm. Oh, how the tides will turn. Mm-hmm. So, Rowan. Yeah. Tell me something good. Mm. Mine is simple. I'm trying to be like you. I wanted to do something good that another person could partake in, should they choose. We flipped. I did not do that this week. Last night, I had a moment. I was just craving pub food. You know, when you go out to a bar and they have their really good one thing, it's usually pretty greasy Mm -hmm. that you eat. And my... One of my local bars of choice does really amazing burgers and fries. So I made the fattest burgers, and I found out that putting carne asada seasoning on french fries is (laughs) life-changing. 
Oh my god, I need to try that. I know this is so obvious and probably a thousand other people did it. And if I just looked on Pinterest, I would have learned it sooner. But I was just putting the freezer fries out on the tray and I looked in the spice drawer and I found some garlic and I found some carne asada seasoning and we had to make a second batch of fries. They were so good. Okay, I'm definitely going to try that. I mean, since we're talking about delicious food combinations, this is one that's going to be tricky for you to recreate, Rowan, but I'd be curious to see if you found a way to make it work for for your particular diet. Mm -hmm. So whenever Jamie makes homemade bread, which is amazing, but it's just basically homemade, like a, a loaf of homemade white bread. So if you get any kind of baguette or Italian bread, it'll work for that. But you just slice it up, toast it, put some butter honey and salt on it what oh it's so good tim have you tried this you who don't like sweet foods i have not tried this to my everlasting shame (laughs) yeah he has not but it's so good it's got because i do like a little bit of honey so it's just just slightly sweet with the salt and then you get like the fat from the butter so good. I'm such a jerk about honey. I will totally buy expensive honey at a <laughs> farmer's market if I can. And I love cinnamon sugar bread. So I feel like this would probably be up my alley. Yes. So good. All right, Tim, we've bought you some okay, time. Tim. All right, I'm ready. My something good No, 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 is... you can't say something good if we don't do the thing. Oh, please. <laughs> Tim, tell me something good. My something good is uh, I am in the process of listening to the audiobook of the sequel to one of my very favorite books of the recent years. If uh, you're not familiar with it, I highly recommend people checking out uh, the Locked Tomb series by Tamsin Weir. The first book is called Gideon the Ninth. The second book is called Harrow the Ninth. And it is about queer necromancers in space. And it is amazing. Are you joking? And I, I haven't finished it, so I I only just started Gideon the Ninth. Um, I was originally listening to the audiobook because of how how much Jamie and Tim and other people I know have recommended it. I'm not a big audiobook person. I find that I do better when I sit and just read. So I'm going to pick up the actual book version of it. But um, I can tell you many people have recommended this series to me. I cannot recommend it hard enough. It is, like, my darling right now. I love audiobooks, and Tim, I have now learned to always trust your recommendations, so... (laughs) (laughs) I'm embarrassed that a couple things you've recommended took me so long to get on board with, because the Magnus (laughs) Archives, which we talked about a few episodes ago, is destroying my brain with amazing content. (laughs) So if you want to check out the books that Tim just mentioned, they will be linked in the recommendations page on our website, willingandfable.com. Absolutely. We always try to get those up there, and we definitely will because both Tracy and I always immediately Google Tim's recommendations. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Plus, I also just put everything on a recommendations page for me to reference. Mm. It's very helpful. Yeah, I I have sought out things that we have had on our own podcast more than once. All right, guys, it's getting close to spooky season. We have one more whiskey-themed episode with our lovely Mm -hmm. historian-in-residence, Tim. We are covering American whiskeys, bourbon, 
rye, and the like. And then after that, we are diving in to our Halloween series. I am so giddy. I just purchased a bunch of Halloween decor for my apartment. <laughs> That's my plan tomorrow. My sister and I are going to go out and go bananas. Because if we're all home 24-7, we might as well make my house as spooky as possible. Uh, yeah, guys, what Michaels has going on for Halloween this year is no joke. Don't go on that website yeah. unless you want to spend more money than you anticipated spending on Halloween things. <laughs> mm-hmm. Can confirm Rowan sent me some links this morning. I did send you links because I, I was just gonna gonna order them all for you and then I went, you can't make decisions for her townhouse. That's so rude. So I just no, shared them with Be you. Be rude. Be rude. Send me, send me right. things. That's the fine. last thing that okay. we want to do before we sign <laughs> off for this week's episode is Thank our newest patrons. I'm going to pass it off to Rowan to read their names. We have new patrons. We're so excited. We can't thank you enough. It means so much to us that you are supporting our work and storytelling and joining us on the Discord and telling us the kind of stories you want to hear and sending us stories of your own. It means the world. So special shout out thank yous to our new patrons, Sebastian M., Mark H., Roger R. and Maria R. Oh my goodness me. I get the joy of getting all the patron notices first. And that means Mm -hmm. I get to pass them along to Tracy. (laughs) (laughs) So meanwhile, I'm obsessively on the Discord like 24-7 and interacting with all of you guys, all of you on the Discord. It is like my favorite thing in the world. Every time a new message pops up, I drop whatever I'm doing <laughs> and go and check it out and chat with you guys and share memes and pet pictures and everything. It is, you guys are the best. You're the best. Uh, it's like all of you guys are now all of our best friends and and I can say for both of us, we love it. Yes. And we are so happy to know you and we really appreciate all the insight you're giving us into the kind of stories you are looking for. It makes kind of gathering around the campfire so much more fun. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And... And the last thing is a reminder that you can always email us at willingandfable at gmail.com or use our website, willingandfable.com. You can use the contact section or the Discord or Instagram, however, however you want to reach out to us to tell us your listener legends. Any stories, spooky stories, funny stories, a story about your great-great-grandmother, a story about how your ancestors' clan murdered another family's clan. <laughs> You know, <laughs> typical family stuff that you got going on. No biggie. That big fish tale that just gets bigger and bigger every time your grandparent tells it. That is what we're looking for. We love it. So shout out to So us. keep sending them in. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, stories grow with the telling. So if you like what we do, tell a friend. Say or tell a foe, Tim. It'll be fun. Tell a foe. (laughs) And we'll see you soon, okay? Thank you so much for joining us for the Willing and Fable podcast. This episode was written and produced by Tracy Harrison and Rowan Hall. That's me. Our music was written and performed by Taylor Ash, and our logo is by Jamie Harrison. If you ever want to watch or read what we're reading, head over to willingandfable.com for our show notes, 
or find us at Willing and Fable on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to join the discussion. We hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast using your favorite listening source. And check out Willing and Fable on Patreon, where we have more than a few surprises for you, including custom artwork, stories, and access to our secret Discord channel. And of course, join us next time for another round of ancient myths, local legends, and stories with staying power.